Welcome, friends, to the Generations Radio Broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host with you, coming to you from my basement out here in Eastern Plains, Colorado, with Bill Jack from Worldview Academy. Welcome, Bill. Welcome hey. back to the bunker. Bunker. We're in the bunker. And, yeah. you know, you, you think you, you, when we're not people kidding. hear that. We're not kidding. Yeah. We're, it's a bunker. It's a bunker, and people think we're hunkering down. And we are hunkering down and, in the bunker. Yeah, but but we're not we're not sitting here wringing our hands no, waiting for the no, end no, times. No, 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 you know? no, 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 no. People ask me what my eschatology is. I say, well, can't we just get on with what we're supposed to be doing? Yeah. That's usually my response, right? So yeah. I don't want to obsess over eschatology, but we're going to hit that for just a moment, mainly because the rise of the Antichrist is here. Yeah. Well, in the theaters. Yes. <laughs> in the theaters. <laughs> on, Kevin's, t- on TV. Kevin Sorbo, yeah. I guess the actor, not the Antichrist, but he's the good guy. Right. Um, another Left Behind movie hit in the theaters, $3.5 million in the box office so far over the last week. Forbes magazine actually interviewed Kirk Cameron, who was the first of the Left Behind series. I think they did a trilogy in the early 2000s or early 90s. This is way back. Yeah. This is when Kirk Cameron was 14 years old, or he looked like he was 14. And Tim LaHaye was. was, Yeah. He was writing all those books, and it was probably one of the most popular series of books written by Christian authors of the 20th century. Um, Well, um, this interview with Kirk Cameron, very interesting. It was Forbes magazine, uh, Jerry Boyer did the article and the interview. I just want to play a piece of this, if if that's okay. Friends, uh, this is one of the most interesting uh, insights from Kirk Cameron. This would have been, you know, I don't know, 27 years later or something. But uh, here's, here's what Kirk Cameron was telling Jerry Boyer from Forbes magazine. Kind of feels to me like you've, to some degree, left behind, left behind. Um, or am I overstating that? You can say pass if you want. Yeah, no, I'm, ha- I'm happy to answer the question. Regardless of, of uh, if you are a Christian, there are <clears throat> there are, are are several historic eschatological positions that uh, have been taken and can be defended and embraced. And regardless of your of your position with regard to the return of Christ, I don't see anything in the scriptures that should leave Christians discouraged, believing that uh, defeat is inevitable. What I see. Uh, historically and in the scriptures, is that Jesus Christ would come and that he would set up his kingdom and that it would be uh, a spiritual kingdom that would animate uh, the people and their actions here on earth, that we would be the light and the salt of the world and of the earth, and that we would push back darkness, we would stop corruption, and that we would disciple nations with the power that Christ gives us, the power that raised him from the dead, and that his kingdom wins, it doesn't lose. That greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. That that sounds like an optimistic, triumphant, victorious right. mission. That's All right, so th- that's it. That's the piece from an interview he did just, I don't know, a couple of years ago with Jerry Boyer. And that's a shift. Yeah. That's somewhat of a shift. Um, we're going to talk about some of this eschatology, friends. Cameron goes on, says uh, all these different schools of eschatology, and no matter which position you land on, don't use it as an excuse for cultural paralysis and world aversion. Earlier generations of Christians worked together to free slaves, not just to evangelize them. They, they did polish the tarnished brass of Christendom. They did that. Uh, so, you know, 
Kirk Cameron says, we've got to push back darkness, stop corruption, disciple nations. The power of Jesus was raised from the dead. And uh, he's with us all the way to the end. In other words, go ahead, polish the brass on a sinking ship. Swab the decks, scrape the hull, stoke the coal, grab the wheel, full steam ahead. The ship's going forward, not down. That's, <laughs> that's the way that Jerry Boyer puts it as he summarizes Kirk Cameron's comments. Yeah. Or as a buddy of mine likes to say, you know, God's not up in his heaven wringing his hands going, oh, this is so bad. I better send in the helicopters and pick them up off the roof in the hotel in Saigon. Well, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the point that I make, and I, I honestly think there are clear, super clear elements to this, as well as unclear elements, which, by the way, I lay out in the final book on worldview, uh, the final chapter of the book. It's called Teleology, How All of This Ends. And my major point is, man, we still have the commission. The master left, but he left us with a commission. Occupy until I return. Disciple the nations. Get on with it. I will be with you to the end. So stay on task. Stay on mission. Now, I know people listen to this program and said, Kevin Swanson has only said that 400 times. <laughs> but that, that's to me a mission. No, that's, that, that's, that's what we're to be doing. It's 399 times. Okay, something like that. It's interesting also, let me give you these stats before we take the break. Lifeway Research completed a... Recent survey, this would have been about 2020, 2021, somewhere in there. Americans are 60% premillennial. These are American evangelicals, I'd say, more the conservatives, uh, including some African-American pastors. So they've included a few of those in the survey. But Americans are 60% premillennial, 21% amillennial, and 9% postmillennial. 10% are not sure, pan mill. It'll pan out in the end. It'll pan out in the end, yeah. right. So you got about a 60, 20, 10, and 10 on the pre-mill, on-mill, post-mill, pan-mill breakdown. Also, very interesting. I, I took these as very interesting stats. I've never seen this before. African-American pastors most likely to be post-mill. Optimistic. Right? Yeah, they're optimistic, 24%. Now, generally speaking, I'll just say generally speaking, post-millennialists are going to be the most optimistic. Now, it's not to say there aren't some pre-mills that are optimistic and on-mills that are optimistic, but in general, I, I think... Most people would probably agree with me that post-millennialists are the optimistic folk. Pre-millennialists, uh, they're least likely to be pre-mills. African-Americans least likely to be pre-mills, like huh. 39. So 29 post-mill, 39 pre-mill. So very interesting, almost close uh, to 50-50 there on the African-American pastors. Compared to pastors ages 55 to 64, the younger pastors are more likely to be post-millennial, which is very interesting. Now, the younger pastors tend to be more on the optimistic side of it. Uh, less likely to be pre-mill. Pastors with master's degrees or doctoral degrees much more likely to be all mills than uh, those without a college degree. Pastors with a master's degree are also least likely to select pre-millennialism. So education plays uh, a part of this. Let's talk about eschatology next. I want to talk about the traps those are important to me. We got to be careful. Don't get stuck on this. All right, there are traps when it comes to eschatology. That next on Generation, stay with me. You know, busyness has a way of creeping into our lives. As dads, it can leave us longing for moments of one-on-one -on -one time with our sons to simply talk. And those moments can be tough to come by. I get it. That's one of our top goals for our annual summer father-son retreat in the Colorado mountains. 
to provide quality time for you to connect with your son. Can you think of anything more important for your schedule next year? If you are looking for an opportunity to bond, to really bond with your son, then join me, Kevin Swanson, and hundreds of other fathers and sons from across the country next August. But be sure to register soon because we max out the camp every year and we're already filling up. Go to coloradofatherson.com today and choose one of the two weekends available before they are full. Lord willing, I will be there and it will be a great opportunity to meet you and your son. This is your chance to secure the lowest price for this event. So go to coloradofatherson.com and register today. And we're back on Generations. Kevin Swanson with you. Bill Jack to talking about eschatology today. Bill, let's start with some of the concerns. First is that eschatology obsessions can get in the way of obedience to the Great Commission. We can get wrapped up in the details yeah. and, and in and arguing our position to the point where we forget our commission. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, you know, it can become an obsession. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can become culturally paralyzed, a comment that was made by Kirk Cameron, that we you get so tied up in conspiracies. You know, I guess I'm, I, I think of conspiracy theory. Yeah. Okay. Great. It was a, just, it was a great movie because just, it, it included every possible conspiracy yeah. theory at the time. And it was, let's face it, yeah. it was an obsession. Yes. And, yeah. and that leads to what? Paralysis. It does. It, it, it leads to the point where you, you cannot live. Yeah. You, you cannot breathe. You can't move. You're, you are literally paralyzed emotionally and spiritually. Now, second broad-based concern I have with the way that I, I would say most churches do eschatology today is this pessimism. Now, again, this isn't to say that every premillennialist is pessimistic. I'm just saying there's an overall pessimistic attitude that came out of the 19th century that wasn't healthy. And here's the deal. This is one of the reasons why we've put together our entire curriculum on the basis that the kingdom of God, the church of Jesus Christ, is not just in America. Like, we are not the essence of the kingdom of God on earth. And I I, I just wanted an yeah. international, worldwide, missions-based curriculum that would give people a little bit of a sense of optimism and, I, I think, a dose of reality and giving due credit where credit is due that Jesus Christ isn't a loser. I mean, I, I just want to give him the praise and the worship and the yeah. adoration for the fact yeah. that there are 2.4 billion people calling themselves Christians today up from 120. That's, I mean, that's that's progress. <laughs> that's that's, that's progress. progress. Yeah. You know, let's give him an A plus on that one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's, so, a, that's a good I mean, it's just a simple it. thing. You know, he's built yeah. his church through the ages. Let's give him due credit for it. You with me? Yeah. No reason to be down in the mouth no. over that. Despite all the persecution, sure, sure. Yeah. Somehow he came through, yeah. you know, right? Uh, though this world, the devil's filled, should threaten to undo us. He has willed his truth to triumph through us. You know, I mean, the prince of darkness, grim. We tremble not for him. This is pretty good. Write that down. Yeah, write that down. We, we, can, make good a, hymn. we can make a hymn. We can make a hymn out of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think a little optimism is quite appropriate. And then thirdly. Some and I think you brought this out already. Eschatology can become a diversion and a division. Mm-hmm. You follow me? You know what I mean by diversion, right? We talk about the wrong things. Right. We're spending all our time talking about the smoke bomb going off in the post office, mm-hmm. and you know, hey, somebody's robbing the bank. Right. And so there's this diversion that happens, and it, it's the difference between family business and kingdom business. 
we we can have f- discussions inside the family, yeah. the body, yeah, on 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 issues that are important mm-hmm. and issues that need to be discussed, but they're not issues that that I would start conversations out on the street. Well, and where are the lines I, of battle? Should we all tied up in discussions on eschatology when the the zeitgeist has got this evolution thing all wrapped up in the public schools? Right. You follow me? Where's the and line? And in many of, of our antithesis? churches. Well, talk to me. Talk to me about yeah. that. I mean, what's the more important issue in your in your mind? The whole issue, it, it, as I said earlier, we, we spend a lot of time uh, on the end times and when there's a lot of room for debate on that. Christians recognize that it's not as clear, because if it were clear, then we'd all be in agreement. But what is very clear is the, are the first three chapters of Genesis, and yet churches refuse to even touch that topic because they think it's divisive. When it's very clear, it's very clear. God's very clear in his word about six days, and he's very clear in his word about what happened and how he brought it about. And at, that evolution cannot be possibly any part of that. And yet, churches will shy away from dealing with Genesis when they will go to Revelation, and they'll camp out on Revelation for months. Well, they'll fight their brother to the death. Yes. And I think one of the reasons for that, Bill, is that we, we, we tend to, this is what Christians can tend to do, is they make friends with the world— and then they can't get along with their brothers and sisters in the same box. <laughs> you know, in other words, they're they're compromising on basic yeah. issues relating to a natural materialistic view of the origins of the universe, while at the same time arguing to the death with a brother and sister over the length of the tribulation or whatever. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I've got an entire chapter on this in my new book, Worldview, What We Believe, What They Believe, and Why They Are Wrong. And what I do in this book is I don't contrast Christians as much as my focus is to contrast the teleology, the eschatology of Christianity with Hinduism, Buddhism, natural materialism, right, and all of these other worldviews that are so strong. I mean, this is the other 89% of the world's population. So, hey, let's have a discussion about these issues. Eschatology, I say in my book, or the study of future events, has always been racked with controversy and amply afflicted with pitfalls. Certain Christian sects have fallen into an extremely unhealthy state of affairs, especially since the early 1800s, and some have veered towards heterodoxy and cult status because of wrongheaded views of apocalyptic themes. And by the way, I cover Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, too, and you know they're all about the apocalypse. That that. They came out of the burned out district of New York in which, you know, all of that waiting for Jesus' return was the big deal. And and then you get the cults that come out of that. So my point is that obsessions can go very badly for you. Does that make sense? Obsessions can go very badly for you. So be very, very careful. Extremely unwise, proud, perverse, and corrupted men excel in questionable matters. That's 1 Timothy 6, 3-5, which is a huge warning from the Apostle Paul. Don't get all bound up and quarrelsome and questionable. Paul only mentions that seven times in the pastorals. You know, he's got four pages. He mentions it seven times. He's, <laughs> he's concerned. Do you think that would ever happen in Christianity where, you know, pastors would get bound up in questionable and quarrelsome matters and not get along well with each other in the sandbox? Uh, well, evidently the Apostle Paul thought that would be a possibility. Yeah, and, I think- and, and sure enough. 
Yeah, <laughs> it he, he was pressured. It happened. He saw it coming. It yeah. happened. They failed to distinguish between major doctrines and minors, or the certain and the uncertain, especially when it comes to matters relating to the end times. Certain charismatic leaders will appeal to the human tendencies to fear a tribulation or just morbid curiosity to amass a following or control their people. Within the natural human psyche also resides a magnetic draw towards the occult. What is the occult? The occult is the unknown, the unknowable, or to the Gnostic doctrine nobody except the privileged few may come to know. So there's these sorts of things that tug at us, is all I'm saying. And we just have to be on the guard. We have to be on the guard for this, guys. If there was an area of biblical teaching in which Christians should apply the utmost caution, it must be this doctrine of the end times. This is where the questionable, quarrelsome issues have the most potential to divide up the brotherhood. The most respected Christians throughout history have disagreed on the finer points of eschatology. Reasonable, thoughtful, intelligent Christians have disagreed on these matters for thousands of years. Christians have disagreed on these. Our approach, therefore, must be to step softly, remain humble, and wisely discern the differences between that which is certain and that which is uncertain. Whatever a church eschatological perspective might be or whatever the communion they participate in. Every believer must carefully determine what is certain, what is less certain in their understanding of the end times. Uh, The pessimism, optimism question is where I want to land today. Bill, I think a person's optimism does contribute to his follow-through, his obedience. I think it's a matter of influence and motivation to somebody. You're basically pessimistic about how your work is going to end. What are you going to do, Bill? What are you going to do? Like nothing. You're not going to get out of bed in the morning, right? You're going to be lethargic. Sure. sure. You're not going to be enthusiastic. You're not going to have the joy. You're going to be neutralized and paralyzed. And and, and let me leave my listening audience today with Matthew 13, 31 to 32. To, To me, this has been always been. Conclusive for me. I'm saying all the way back when I was, you know, 16 years old and looking into some of this, this was a very essential core matter of perspective for Kevin Swanson. Listen to this. Another parable put Jesus forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Now, now the next parable is also equally important. That is, it works somewhat like yeast or leaven, where it just kind of surreptitiously works through the, the loaf. And... So this is the way the kingdom of God works. It's, it's a slow and steady thing. It's not super noticeable. Right. But, but when you take two data points, 2023 and 8033, what do you get? <laughs> you get, you know, um, you get progress. A, you get a lot of progress. Progress. Yeah. progress. Let's just say it. Progress. From the early 1800s for a period of almost 200 years, some substantial portion of evangelical churches in the West, the U.S. and England especially, have embraced an eschatology of pessimism. This itself represents something of a lapse of faith and potentially results in a disobedience to the Great Commission. Sometimes this took the form of the argument, don't polish brass on a sinking ship. Sort of thinking prioritize short-term evangelism techniques over long-term discipleship, yet there is nothing in Scripture that would justify this approach. You agree with that? Yeah. And, and what happens when you just say, okay, for the next 200 years, it's short-term evangelism. We're not doing some dig in and long-term disciple them in everything that Jesus has taught us. What happens? You get a Christianity, and typically this is what's referred to in the mission field, but it's here in America too, a Christianity that's one inch deep and, and a, mile, a wide. mile wide. Yeah, and, and so, friends, that's what's happened. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
isn't it? Pessimism yep. is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Things aren't going to go very well. And then what happens? They don't go very well. They don't do very well. Okay. The assumption behind the pessimism or short-term strategies was that the end of the world, the Great Tribulation, the rise of the Antichrist, or the return of Christ was imminent. Dates for Christ's return were set over and over again. But the Great Tribulation didn't happen. The Antichrist wasn't Henry Kissinger or any other specific person. And Christ did not return. Did some sex? Waste 200 years waiting for Christ's return? The pessimism that arrested Western Christians is understood, at least in the psychological sense. Beginning with the Enlightenment of the 18th century, the Western world apostatized from the Christian faith. I wrote the book on it, so of course I can relate to that. All the major institutions turned against biblical truth. The mainline churches left the faith. Only a small remnant remained, but that wasn't the story for the rest of the world. The older brother in the parable of the prodigal son wasn't in the mood to celebrate the return of the younger brother into the fold. Okay, so he wasn't out, you know, joining with the dancing. It didn't do it. Western Christians hardly celebrated the exponential increase of the church around the world and the steady conversion of the Jews beginning around the latter half of the 19th century. They were too depressed over losing their own and the anticipation of the Antichrist. One reason discipleship was resisted by much of the church was that discipleship would yield cultural transformation, and that did not comport with the rise of the Antichrist and its control over a one-world government. Intuitively, most people realize that if you teach people to observe all of God's commandments, Matthew 28, personal life transformation will inevitably transform human institutions, at least those with which believers are associated. That would include art, music, business, education, and politics. Are you riding with me here, Bill? Yeah. I mean, so, do you agree? Yes. You basically agree with what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it is worldview. It, it is your worldview that matters. And uh, that's why we, we have schizophrenic Christians. They love Jesus with their hearts, but they think secularly. Yeah. And so they have no impact on culture. They, they've lost their saltiness. The, the light but, has but gone dim. But it's due dim. to the teachers. The yes. teachers aren't doing it. And the teachers aren't doing it because they're not going back to the basic commission. Right. The statistics also do not bear well with the pessimism that so characterized evangelical Christianity. The loss of Christian cultural influence in the West and the collapse of Western civilization did not reduce the number of Christians or even the percentage of Christians in the world. There was a serious disconnect between the evangelical church eschatology and the West and the mission's work of the last two centuries. And I, I believe this. I'm like, the missionaries aren't talking to the theologians. You know, what's going on? Yeah. There's a disconnect here. All the theologians in the West are getting pessimistic, but the missionaries are raking in the, the wheat. You know, it's happening. There were 120 professing believers in Jesus Christ gathered in the upper room in AD 33. Now there's 2,380,000,000 professing Christians worldwide. That's 30% of the world's population. That ratio was 23% 200 years ago. 7% increase in just 200 years. Not bad. There's every reason in the world to be optimistic about the Christian faith. Christ's vision for the kingdom expressed in Matthew 13 is working its way out over thousands of years. We have no reason to believe that these numbers will shrink, even under a worst-case scenario in which the rest of the world gangs up on Christians given a Gog and Magog scenario or the rise of an Antichrist. The influence of these Christians bear out upon the unbelieving population and that may operate by ebb and flow, and at points they may be pressed into their own ghettos. Christian influence often functions like yeast in the bread of Jesus' parable. The kingdom of God eludes observation, Luke 17. Like mycelium under the ground, Christians provide needed minerals and nutrients for the sustaining of human culture. Of course, digging around the mycelium, you read, read this in biology books, if you dig around the mycelium, or you persecute Christians in the analogy, that could very well ruin the mycelium. 
and prevent further benefit for the rest of the plan. So please don't do that. If anybody's out there listening and you want to persecute Christians and <laughs> rip up the mycelium, don't do that. You'll ruin your society. There is little debate among conservative Christians or biblically thinking Christian leaders that subscribe to biblical ethics that the world's institutions have set themselves against the Lord and his anointed. Present-day world leaders are self-conscious in their rebellion against the true and living God, and we're dealing with an anti-Christian apostate age. Nonetheless, the worldwide influence of Christ, as compared with the pre-Christian era before his first advent, has been nothing short of phenomenal. The blessings that came by Christian thought and influence through economics, science, medicine, charity, education, marriage, and civil liberties have impacted the whole world. While the Christian influence faded in the West over the last 200 years, the ripple effects of Christian culture throughout the whole world is irreversible. Christ has come. He's turned on the lights, and the whole world has received the blessing far as the curse is found. Well, I'll wrap it up there, but that's that's a short segment from my last chapter in my new book on worldview. Yeah, it's very optimistic. Yeah, and we want to maintain that, don't yes. we? All the way to the end. Exactly. I mean, you know, even the even warrior the end of this e- e- this show. Even the yeah, there you go. <laughs> even the warrior who is, you know, lo- lost some ground in the battle. He's got 18 wounds. Y- you know the picture of the guy, right? He's got sure. seven arrows in his back and he's still firing his guns. Yeah. You're pretty appreciative of guys like that aren't you i mean I you're am. like yeah, yeah that her- guy i want to be that guy he, he's, he's not well. cur- he's not curling up in the fetal position there yeah he continues to fire he's he's optimistic he's on it he knows how it ends and he continues engaging the commission his captain gave him all the way to the end yeah. and friends that's the way i want to be too <laughs> get a copy of worldview what we believe what they believe and why they are wrong at our website, I'm going to say that's going to be a few weeks out, but uh, it's wrapped up. I just finished it, just did the final chapter, and it uh, should be available for you shortly. And uh, this has been a good discussion. Friends, if you have any inputs on eschatology, I'm just kind of curious what you think. Email me at host at generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson and Bill Jack inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation. <laughs>